Forget CDs and MP3s, the thing about vinyl is that it just sounds better. Oops. That's why on Counting the Beat we only play vinyl, Kiwi music on vinyl. Damn! Counting the Beat, play new New Zealand music on vinyl and recent finds from the crates. The third Saturday of every month at 8pm here on Waiheke Radio. Hi and welcome to Counting the Beat on Waiheke Radio. All Kiwi music, all on vinyl. I'm Chris Walker, and over the next couple of hours, I'll be spinning New Zealand music on vinyl. I've got the usual mix of new releases, reissues, and recent finds from the crates. And in this episode, um, some special features as well. I've got some interviews with people behind the making of the records. I'll be talking to Donald McLeod behind Pine Nut Records, who's been doing some very special releases. And I'll be talking to Tim Moon, the man who was behind the new Darcy Clay reissue, plus we talked with Marlon Williams, winner of the 2018 Silver Scroll. But I'll start off with something new, uh, this is probably one of my favourite releases of the year so far, an album out of Dunedin from Fishrider Records, a self-titled LP from Bad Sav. I've been running through a whole lot of favourite tracks on this, but my favourite one at the moment is this, it's got a glorious shoegaze shimmer and it's called Dinner Man.
That was Bad Sav. Last month on Counting the Beat was a 7-inch special, and I played a new 7-inch from the Hallyu Picassos back after many years. Now I'm going to play the B-side of that, which is a re-recording of an earlier track of theirs, Black Spade Picasso Core. This is the community version. Oh, this one of a kind 
So following the Hello You Picassos was a track from Soda Boys, Renamon. That's from a split 7-inch with Yukon Era, and that's out on a label new to releasing vinyl, Prison Tapes. They've done cassettes up to now, and it's one of two Prison Tapes vinyl releases that I'll be featuring on this show. And I'll give a spin to the other side of that 7-inch, the one from Yukon Era, later in the show as well. Hi, this is Beck Runger and you're listening to Waiheke Radio. Soon we're going to hear the interview I had with Donald McLeod of Pine Nut Records, but just before that I'm going to play something off his 2017 release, the first release on Pine Nut, which was a live LP from Sneaky Feelings, living up to their name, live at the Glue Pot, Saturday 5th of September 1987. This is my favourite Sneaky song, Not To Take Sides. So rude. You'd be whenever you're crude, but I'm never ever sure whether you mean to be that way. It's just that we've grown so far away from each other. You're so strong, you overpower me 
Donald McLeod is the man behind Pine Nut Records, a label based out of the Waikato, who've been doing some really interesting archival releases, uh, the fantastic Sneaky Feelings release uh, recently, and upcoming a new release of old material from Chris Thompson. So I wanted to talk to Donald uh, about about putting together those releases and I suppose also about the various editions that he's putting together of those. It's a bit of a collector's dream. So good evening, Donald. Mm-hmm. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Chris. So um, you've you've been a bit of a, a record uh, kind of a, a trader for a while, haven't you, buying and selling? Yes, um, partly following my own sort of interest in collections, but I've been doing a bit uh, online, um, mainly through Discogs, which I've also been a discographer for, sort of extending my hobby interest in music to actually um, archive and catalogue some missing New Zealand music. So, um, and from that, I've, so I've got into some of the um, trading, buying, uh, mainly buying, but also selling a few, and obviously more recently my own releases. Yeah, so what, what was it that made you take the leap into actually going, okay, I'm going to send something off to the pressing plant and put this out? Well, I've always had this thought. I did this recording um, back in 87. I did a couple of uh, bands at the Glue Pot in Auckland, and I, I just wanted to uh, experience the sort of recording, if you like. So I rolled up to the Glue Pot and recorded, um, first of all, Sneaky Feelings in 87, and I think it was the following year I did a, a recording of The Bats. And when I played it back, the Sneaky Feelings one, you know, being, I really just, my favourite bands and um, uh, classic sort of... Um, singer, songwriter, guitarist and, and bands. When I played it back, it was exceptionally good sound quality. And I thought, well, gee, this would be great as a release. And I was always keen to get a live recording of the band and it never came out. So I thought to myself, well, when am I going to do it? I might as well do it now. And extended that interest in, um, in music to actually produce the album and go through the whole process. So, I mean, it must be, I mean, obviously you've been around records for a while, you know, a, a bit about what's involved, but did you have a full appreciation of, of the whole process, of what it was going to, to take to actually put something out on vinyl? Well, I've, I've obviously been talking to people and I've just involved in working with the, the retailers and various people always talking about that process. Um, some people are pretty knowledgeable but in a way, I actually enjoy, um, like following the music, actually doing and learning as I go through it. So I suppose the approach was an approach of how to learn on the way through and then accumulate all the knowledge uh, or, or how to find out the missing bits you need to know by actually doing it. So, yeah, it was quite an interesting process. And you, you have a new release coming up, uh, Drunken Nights in Dublin, which is... Uh, Material recorded by Chris Thompson uh, quite some time back, uh, but just coming out now. But maybe, uh, do you want to just tell us a little bit about Chris Thompson? Yeah, well, Chris was one of the first um, New Zealanders to um, sort of head overseas. Well, there were some in the 60s, but and obviously it's moodier than that, country singers. But he was actually you know, recognised as a very, very good upcoming uh, musician, um, particularly guitarist, and he sort of bumped into, well, through through his musical involvement, um, Julie Felix. And they recognised the potential of Chris, and um, they said to him, if you want to tour overseas uh, or come overseas, you know, give us a call and um, come and play along with us. And he actually did that. He went to, he um, saw them, and he ended up in, um, over in London and touring further with the Julie Felix band. And, and through that, met a lot of those sort of people in that field of uh, folk, blues, and that extended um, sort of field of, of folk. So that was a great opportunity for him. So, and I knew about those recordings uh, from those days, 
And I had seen Chris um, play in the 80, in about 1985 when he was uh, with uh, Lynn, um, and they were playing folk music. And I was following the folk music scene, so I was aware of Chris going back to back to that time. And uh, more recently, reminded me of that very early sort of um, the type of sort of so called psych folk, and I've been quite interested. And also, there's been a bit of a recovery with that sort of music, particularly with the Littleton scene. And I think of people like Aldous Harding and so on. Sort of the edge of folk and a little bit, you know, grittier sort of folk, and and it's, it's um, yeah, sort of re-sparked my my enthusiasm. a fascinating story behind the origins of of this record um, and you know how how it came to to even be around nowadays well Chris um, had a first album and the record company went through a few problems it was his first self-titled album called uh, it was Chris Thompson on the village thing records and that was sort of produced by a group of musicians um, recording around uh, particularly in um, Dublin and London in the early days and, um, yeah, Chris, Chris sort of, um, he was then working with his music and wanted to do more of his own when he went solo after he'd done that uh, work with Julie Felix, who was doing a solo thing and was 
musician in residence at Trinity College. Then he actually put together this album from various recordings, both band and, and acoustic solo tracks, and some of these Indian-type musician tracks, and put down an album which he then um, organised and paid for a transfer to an Apple Corps acetate. Now, with the um, Beatles label, um, they, they were cutting acetates for people, and then they could go away and make the records. Chris intended this to be his second record, but he had to leave town pretty quickly, get back to New Zealand for various reasons, um, and um, he left this acetate at EMI in Middlesex, and there, there it remained. In fact, it was thought to be lost, and then, of course, um, a lot of those early recordings were lost in a fire because Chris brought back all of those uh, master tapes to New Zealand. Some were left with other people for like his first record, which has been reissued. Most of those were lost, and this acetate was lost, they thought, forever, and then it suddenly, um, basically through a friend of um, Chris's um, in Greece, Giorgio's name is, he, um, he tipped this group off, and I'd been in touch with Chris. This was up for sale and auction. And I was looking at doing another record project. I was looking at another New Zealand band, and this was like a perfect project to do a record project on. So I bid on eBay, and I was fortunate to win that uh, one and only Apple Core acetate of Chris's lost album. So this thing's kind of survived miraculously throughout the years and kind of come come back full circle now um, to, so that Chris can be involved with it again. Yes, well, I I've, I've, you know, had been in touch with Chris, and I was just... Before that, obviously, I just uh, got to know him, and um, I've been following his daughter's band, Laura Thompson, too, and Cheshire Grimm, and I've just thought, great musician, and that also helped spark this thought about uh, this music I remember from, from Chris. And, um, yeah, it's been an amazing opportunity, but it went through various, from EMI to another record uh, shop in Soho. I don't know what it was, but it was called a, a well-known record shop, which must have closed. Then it went to a London specialist record shop, who identified the music, they didn't know who it was, they thought it was George Harrison because of the sitar and um, tabla sort of sound, it was quite a mysterious sort of uh, album they called it from that period, plus some more straightforward or um, classic, a couple of classic rock songs and a jug band song, he identified it using that Shazam uh, program which you can then play music and it identifies, if it's on the database, some of those known tracks and from that they recognised it was actually, um, they thought it was George Harrison, it's actually New Zealand's um, Chris Thompson that's the, of course there are two Chris Thompsons which makes it a bit confusing too but um, uh, yeah, Chris Thompson, the acoustic folk blues singer, sign, uh, songwriter Chris Thompson. I, I imagine there, there would have been a few people who really were holding out that it was George, some long lost George Harrison recording but of course for you it's worked out even better that it was um, a, a New Zealander Yes, well, um, any acetate from Apple Corps of a you know, recognised artist, and certainly Chris Thompson's particular early works are, are very much sought after or classic albums, and they go for quite a lot of money themselves. Had it been George Harrison, it would have been absolute fortune. Um, it still wasn't cheap, but um, it, was, it was realistically affordable and also with a view of possibly making an album out of it. So, yeah, I was fortunate to win uh, the competitive bidding on an eBay to... Um, to bring the album back. So what kind of state was it in? I mean, this is the only copy. It's been kicking around a record shop and kicking around Europe and the, and the, and the UK for, for decades. I mean, what was it like when you got it? Well, at the first, in fact, when I mean, it's been mastered, I haven't taken out all that um, sort of that acetate sound because um, it's actually remarkably good because acetates are quite robust 
when you play them, as long as it's played on reasonable gear, so it's quite well played, but it still has the vitality and the depth, if you like, of sound, which I was really after. There's a bit of noise, um, but, you know, if, if people you know, who like the vinyl, um, sometimes a little bit of background noise can be quite, a <laughs> quite good, really. Um, so um, a couple of scratches, and we did uh, take some of the pops out of it for the mastering for the album, but it's remarkably good condition considering it's so old, 45 years, and it has been played a fair bit, but still, still remarkably uh, good sound. It's just another Friday night at Fox's Minstrel Show. One-eyed clown's having a fight with the banjo man's widow. Show. 
So one of the the things I wanted to ask you about, Donald, is um, the the pine nut releases. I suppose a feature of these is that you know being a record collector yourself, you recognise the the importance of of collectability and different editions yep. and so on, and you you really go all out to um, to package these things up. So maybe if you want to tell you know you you did that with sneaky feelings. There were various different editions and box sets. What what do you have planned for the Chris Thompson release? Yeah, well, it's sort of following on from that one and sneaky feedings and it's gone all around the world and it's been quite well received because you know being a sort of a I really enjoy the record the music and the collecting and the process of finding the stuff and finding out about different music particularly New Zealand um, musicians that yeah I've, um, this, this one's going to be I'm taking it I want to learn all the different sort of um, types of production of music so the first one was different sort of covers and I handmade some of the covers I'm doing that again and I did a lot of hand screen printing and things because I you was know, thinking about the craft and the whole art involved in the, the music itself and the packaging. So this one's going to have, the first one's going to have a commercial cover. I just actually received them from a local printer, Virtual Print, who did a great job of the printing. So we can get those made. So it's got a commercial cover one, which is my own artwork, but it's been digitalized and it's been made into a more commercial sort of cover, the you know, nice heavy board. There's going to be a handmade version, which is much the same, but it'll be handmade. When I say handmade, both the board itself is all art-grade board, heavy, heavy-duty, um, acid-free board, so it's, you know, it's really nice, art-grade. They'll be hand-screen printed and hand-finished. There'll be probably 40 copies of those. I'm also, for the first time, doing a commercial CD because I wanted to go through that process and, again, the whole artwork, and I really appreciate how much is involved in doing it. So there'll be a commercial CD produced by Stebbings. Um, that'll be, um, again, limited edition. There'll be 200 of those. And I'm also doing an EP, which has uh, actually been uh, pressed already on clear vinyl, and I think you've, uh, you've, you've had a chance to have a bit of a run through that one. Um, that was pressed by Zenith in um, Australia, and it's got a, a, a plain white cover, but it's going to have special artwork, which you don't think you've seen yet. It'll be it'll be announced fairly shortly, um, which will be hand screen printed. It's a you know a bit of an art. I'm trying to make it a type of artwork, if you like. Um, and also, I was very fortunate. Um, I was tracking down through people like Vinyl Lovers in New Zealand, and all these great discussions I've had, and part of the uh, backgrounds come through that that group and groups like that is um, I was there's some discussions about lathe cutting in New Zealand lathe cutting vinyl. I found a guy in Christchurch, but he wasn't active. Um, and then I did another search and found a guy in Auckland called Jesse Wild Wild Music, and he's just bought a new lathe. And we actually cut uh, 20 singles on his lathe, so it'll be t- uh, seven inch singles. Um, by Jesse Wilde, and also I wanted to finish the set and also look at the differences between sound and the types of music. There's also going to be a, um, uh, I'm just being, just being released to get uh, made now, a 10-inch EP by Peter King on the poly, polycarbonate. So there's been discussions about the differences between them. So in this release, people will be able to, you know, the collectors and people involved in production of music to actually, for themselves, sample those different types of um, productions. Yeah, those um, the the lathe cut vinyl uh, things. You know, I've got a few of those. Some of those have come out of Christchurch and uh, and some a couple from overseas. And they, they they can be very high quality, can't they? Almost indistinguishable from getting something pressed up. Oh, the the sound. Um, I mean, Jesse's. 
uh, this is the first commercial one off his um, off his uh, lathe. Um, the, the the quality of the sound it's phenomenally good. Um, the clarity of it, the way it's so crisply cut, and of course each one that's part of the the process. Each one's you know made in real time and cut, so every one is taken directly off the master um, music file. And it's, 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 it does give the potential for doing reasonable cost but low volume at a very very high quality. Yeah, the people like Monkey Records, um, now based out of Berlin, have been doing that, you know, putting out things in editions of kind of 20 or 40, using that mm. process, yeah. yeah and no. so presumably there will be um, a, a super collectible where you bring all of these things together in some kind of box set or so on? Yes, yeah, so in the Sneaky Feelings um, release, because again, someone mentioned to me this thing about what he called, um, as a local guy at the local art shop, AST Gallery, just up the corner here, about a thing called paper engineering, like making an album cover when you actually got it to fit right, particularly with heavy, heavy grade board, there's a bit of engineering involved to make it to work. Um, and then I thought, well, I've always wanted a box set, and a lot of the box sets you buy, they look nice, but they split and they're just not made quite right. And I thought, oh, well, you know, say, um, I remember people who make nice sort of boxes like in the early days, for example, putting clothes into a wedding dresses, they're really nicely made boxes. So I went through a process to see how they were made and then made, again, acid-free art-grade boxes for two box sets of sneaky fittings with all my collections of the different issues, all the collections from the tour. When I went on tour with the... Well, I, I went to the gigs and did the merch for the band, so I did all the collections for those. I sold two, and they, they were really well appreciated. They went for, you know... Um, reasonable amount of money, but again, a lot of work went into them. But then after that, I sort of put a few notes up on various um, so, uh, sites like Vinyl Lovers in New Zealand, and I got a few people who actually bought the boxes, and I was selling them for $150 each, about. Um, but they, they took several hours to make, so there's also a, a handmade box, but I'm going to do it to order. Rather than make stock, I'm going to do it to order, and that'll have all the different editions with the lathe cuts and the, the vinyl the handmade cover version, and also one of the test pressings I did will be in that box set. I'll make it the you know, best price I can to make it affordable, um, but realistic as well. So there will be a number of up to 12 box sets available um, with that handcrafted, handcrafted type box and special artwork. So you, you're still to see with the Chris Thompson, but the Sneaky Feelings release, I mean, was it, was it well received? Have you kind of sold out of what you, what you produced? Yes, all, pretty much all that went out as sold. I've got a few copies left, but I'm only talking about, I think I've got, of the record store day, at least 20 copies left. And I've held back five copies of the um, of the 50 edition I did, which were very, very well received. And they, they were basically pre-sold wherever they went. Um, and they also, with the, I did the Sneaky, uh, sneaky Feelings live at Windsor tape reissue as well with that. So that one's the only one with those 60 copies of that tape. Again, being a sneaky fittings fan, I did produce a tape as well uh, last time. So yeah, pretty much they um, they all went. And the idea was, I was thinking back to you know um, Propeller Records and um, and the early days of, of of Flying Nun, who were a big influence was um, you know the the gain from the first album. If it's good enough, you put it into the next one, and if it keeps going, you can keep producing them. <laughs> but, <laughs> And, uh, you know, it was, it was, and I, had, I went to collectors all around the world and um, all the feedback I had was very, very positive. And, and with this project, you've got Chris Thompson on board as well and he's, he's playing gigs and so on? 
Yes, he's playing over at Waihi Beach. In fact, he's playing tonight. I'm going over again. Um, he's playing really well. He's really, he's really enjoying this process. So working very closely, effectively a partnership with um, Chris to to produce this album. And he's, we're both really enjoying the process. It's um, being a bit of a blast, really. <laughs> So you, you've obviously got the, the bit between your teeth um, and before this Chris Thompson acetate came along you, you know you said that you had been thinking through another another act that you wanted to uh, work on will that project kind of come back up after this one as well? Oh, it's always, it always relies on the circumstances and the you know the, the, uh, the engagement of the band members involved and where they are and just things happening in, around um, what they're doing, and the one I had in mind was a couple of people interested in, in this one is because um, a band who had a great following, but the record was never really widely circulated. It is available in short runs, and that's um, a band I always um, like, and it sort of a, has a country theme, but a country rock theme, if you like, is the band um, Daggy and the Dickheads. I would like to do an album. It's sort of country post-punk. It's, it's really interesting music, and of course, it had the um, Ian Morris, the late Ian Morris involvement there too. He produced the album. In fact, he actually covered one of the songs called Winter, which I just think is a, a marvellous song. And um, yeah, that would be a good one. That sort of um, into the, the country post-punk sort of uh, rock <laughs> blues theme. <laughs> well, well, I have to say, Donald, you know, it's it's great to have someone who's looking at, at you know, either issuing for the first time or reissuing material, but really taking the care. I think, you know, there's been some concern that so particularly of late that some of these recent reissues that come out are, are pretty cynical um you know almost kind of uh, budget style reissues but at, at top dollar prices you know no liner notes and and shoddy artwork and, and and tracks dropped and so on so it is nice to hear someone who's going no actually we've got to make this thing right yeah yeah no certainly um I'm, I'm part of this too i mean promoting that i do like and the things i like to buy too things that are well thought out. You think back to early sort of albums like um, Joy Division's albums, they were just, some of those early albums are just, or like New Waters, we talked about it last night, Low Life with the beautiful covers. The artwork, the whole package was beautifully done, but there are some still some very nice ones around. I mentioned one, um, um, uh, The Preservation by Nadia Reed, which had a lovely flip-back cover, because I've also used the flip-back cover, which is a nice way, but not an easy way, of making the covers, which was often used in the 60s, um, so it, it is a bit variable. There are some good ones, but I do like it when you get good heavy board, and just I mean it's a it's a it's a it's something that you you want to look after and play, but it's yeah. It's a, it's a valuable piece when it's like that. Well, I do promote that, and I like to see more of it. Yeah, well, and, and and as demonstrated by that Chris Thompson acetate, if you take care of these things, they can be around for a very very long time. Yes, well, some of the albums I've got, like I've got um, Muddy Waters' first album, which has been reissued, and in the early, early days, they did, they had used heavy board, and they're just beautifully made, and of course, they lasted, and you look really well, and you tend to look, at, if they're well-produced, um, you tend to look after them better, and they do last better in the, in the rack as well. Well, look, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Donald, and people can uh, check out Pine Nut Records, and I think you, you have those releases there up on Discogs. Are the Chris Thompson uh, issues up there already for people to have a the look Chris at? Chris Thompson acetate is there, so people can see what the track listing and so on is. And what I will do, though, and I like it with sneaky feelings, is it will go on Discogs um, before it's issued, and it's going to go on retail, and it's certain um, particularly independent retailers, uh, like with the sneaky feelings, who... Who've shown a good interest, and uh, we'll be able to um, we'll be able to uh, get the the album 
out there. So yes, on Discogs it will be there too with the issues and the photographs. I usually put them out a month before, so at the start of November roughly it should be those issues and the details should be on uh, Discogs of the, of the various releases. So there you go. There's my interview with Donald McLeod of Pine Nut Records. Great stuff. And I played two tracks from that forthcoming Chris Thompson release, Drunken Nights in Dublin. We heard Beautiful People Blues and Fox's Minstrel Show. Hi, this is Robert Scott from The Clean in the Bats. You're listening to Waikiki Radio. You're listening to Count in the Beat. I'm Chris and I'm playing all Kiwi music on vinyl. Some more new releases now. This is the title track from the new LP on Flying Nun from Indie called Precipice.
Yukon era with Adapt from the Split 7 inch with Soda Boys just out on Prison Tapes. I said earlier in the show there were two releases out on that label, I'll play you something from the other now. This is from an LP from a guy named Raiden Freeman, the LP is called Deep Farm. 
Um, it's a it's a diverse bunch of tracks on here. There's some um, kind of guitar stuff with found sounds or spoken word. Uh, there's some noisy tracks, and there's some like this one that sound a bit like pavement. It's called Not a Dirty Man. Not a dirty man, I'm not a dirty man, but I am a loving The 2018 Silver Scroll Awards were held on the 4th of October and I was lucky enough to get along and talk with Marlon Williams who'd got into the final five for his song Nobody Gets What They Want Anymore. Here's my chat with Marlon and some excerpts from his speech later in the night. Hello, my name is Marlon Williams and uh, I'm here at the Silver Scrolls having been nominated for uh, my song Nobody Gets What They Want Anymore. Well, congratulations! It's it's a, an incredible song. Um, I mean, you've you've been nominated before, and I mean, you've won um, Silver Scrolls before for country music um, song. But 
those previous songs have been collaborative uh, song rights, eh? So, I mean, this really seems to mark a, a step up in in your confidence in songwriting. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I had to, I took a bit of a bit of a leap of faith in the making of my, of my last album. You know, I'd, I'd always I'd always uh, always relied on having a a bedrock of uh, of traditional songs or whatever as a you know to sort of allow me to move move within but but this time it's uh yeah i'm the i'm my own skeleton now so it's it's it feels really empowering for sure so this song's a duet was it written uh as with uh, you know with in mind of being a duet and particularly being a duet with elders harding uh yeah it was written it was written with two voices um yeah the, the word duet never really crossed my mind until I'd finished it, but um, but once yeah, when I was when I was writing it, it definitely I could hear it. there were two people in the room, you know, yeah. And uh, what's next for you now? I mean, you've kind of been you know garnering a lot of success and an interest on the back of this album. What what will you go on to do? Um, I've been back in the studio trying to write again, trying to find another way, another way in. Um, been doing a fair bit of acting, things that have been popping up. So um. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. There's, there's a few different uh, avenues going on, but uh, I'm you know I'm not looking to rush into anything in too much of a hurry. And do the do the, do the songs come quickly to you, or do you have to drag them out? Sometimes they come quickly, but I mean they they in fact they nearly always come quickly, but that's mainly because I'm too scared to change them once they're out. So <laughs> so I just you know I uh, it's a painful process, but once once it's out, it's sort of generally just done. Well, congratulations again and best of luck. Thank you very much. And the winner of the 2018 APRA Silver Scroll Award is, get your face ready, Marlon Williams from Nobody Gets What They Want Anymore. Oh, okay. Awesome. Hey everybody, <sighs> thanks a lot, um, writing songs, according to my phone, is a richly subjective act, buoyed by infinite variety, and we all as songwriters know that it's definitely not a competition, except for the Silver Scroll, which I've won here, It's good. <laughs> no, no, no. It's really an, it's an honour to be receiving this award. Um, I first went to the Scrolls when they were in Christchurch in 2014, where Lawrence Arabia took home uh, the gong with uh, the incredible apple pie bed. Beautiful song. Uh, this year's finalists prove once again the consistently high quality of creativity going on in this country. Uh, the Beths, Troy, Chelsea, UMO, and to all of the other top 20 and every other writer working uh, to discover the new and reinvent the old in music today. To hear my own name in your company is something for me to treasure, so thank you very much for the work that you do. <clears throat> I've always been a bit of a coward when it comes to writing songs. Ask anyone who's ever watched me try and I'm sure they'll tell you it's about as pleasant as watching a kitten drown. The idea of putting anything of myself into my music is still something I find equally nauseating and enthralling by turns. <laughs> But I definitely made a personal break, breakthrough in the writing of this album, and in this song in particular. I'm proud of this song because it taught me something. 
I've never had a song that I've written do that for me. It's always been lessons in everyone else's songs, but this time, and for the first time, I learned to cope with love and with grief through my own writing process. I want to give a massive thank you to Aldous Harding. Not only for giving her unmatched and timeless voice to this very personal song, but for so many years of discovery and friendship and love and always in music. Leonard Cohen, the late great, said that if your life is burning well, then poetry is just the ash. Well, thank you for bringing that heat, Hanny. <laughs> um, yeah, that's about all I have to say. Thank you all very, very much. It's a real honor. Cheers. Isn't it strange Impossible to claim your reward I cannot explain The emotions I can barely afford to contain You're the same You hide away from anything Turns you on Nobody gets what they want anymore No words on a screen Could possibly protect you You know I'll place a ring around us and pray and pray and sing the name There is no blame, there is no shame
trouble And you don't call out for me What am I gonna do I can see that you've been crying This is Marlon Williams and you're listening to Waiheka Radio.
That's a cracker. Um, it's the Tar Seals coming through the rye from the My Bonnie Bell compilation of mostly Dunedin acts performing the works of Robert Burns, and that's put out by Zal Records, the second compilation of Dunedin takes on Robert Burns that they've released. You're listening to Counting the Beat on Waiheke Radio. I'm Chris, and I'm playing all New Zealand music, all on vinyl. So I want to talk about reissues. There's been a, a real rush of reissues recently, and uh, the thing I want to talk about really is the quality of those reissues. There have been some extraordinary works done, and I'll come back to some of those, but also some that are pretty shoddy. Uh, we recently saw a bunch of material from the late 90s, early 2000s get re-releases through, uh, through Sony, and there's been a lot of talk about the work that's gone into there, um, you know, concerns that they may have been mastered from the CD masters, the artwork is blown up from CDs, there's no liner notes, and the there are tracks missing because they've just kind of cut down the number of tracks to fit a standard LP. And I just really feel like it's a missed opportunity. Uh, Some of those albums, you know, people would have bought a really nicely and carefully done reissue on double vinyl, including all of the tracks and maybe a couple of um, EP or single tracks added on and with some decent liner notes. Um, One of the reissues did stand out, however, for doing just that, and that was the Darcy Clay, Jesus, I'm Evil, uh, re- reissue and that's because it was done by someone different so Tim Moon is a Waiheke Islander and I interviewed him on another show here on Waiheke Radio called Island Life where we talk to local people so coming up is my chat with Tim about that Darcy Clay reissue Good morning, you're listening to Island Life on Waiheke Radio. Chris Walker, your host here. Uh, so this morning, yeah, well, there's something um, quite quite special really. I've got um, Tim Moon in the studio with me. And Tim is, um, well, he's, he's been on the show before. He's been here talking about archaeology. He's been here talking about Stony Batter. But this morning he's talking about a project he's been involved in, which is uh, giving a new lease of life to an important piece of New Zealand's musical heritage heritage, musical culture, uh, and that's the Jesus I Was Evil EP from Darcy Clay. So we're going to talk to Tim in a moment, but first of all, let's take a listen to the iconic title track from that record. I used to do lots of things. Thank you. 
Jesus, I Was Evil from Darcy Clay. Uh, so we've got the man who's responsible for uh, putting out this record with us this morning. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, I need to get you right in there yeah, by that microphone. Oh, I love that track. It, uh, it scratches your ears. There you go. There we go. Now we've got you turned on and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Kia ora, Chris. I was saying I, I love that track. It really scratches your ears. There's there's just something very special about the way Darcy recorded that. It is, a, it is as I said in the intro, a kind of an iconic uh, track, a, a piece of New Zealand, important piece of musical heritage, but now um, renewed interest. So tell us a little bit about, about why all this renewed interest. What's going on? Yeah, well, really, Darcy... Um, uh, he was a self-defined artist, and through uh, breaking Jesus, I was evil. He become cult status, and here we are uh, celebrating 20 years since his passing. He died in 1998. Yeah, he died in 1998. So you know we're commemorating him again, and it really shows that uh, he is timeless, and and that's an element of his musical genius. So I was just playing the the new 12-inch release of that. So we've got uh, the Jesus I Was Evil EP on side one, and then the, the second EP, um, Rolling with Beethoven? Uh, that was from the Blur support, yeah, uh, which, yeah. when Blur were touring in New Zealand. So essentially what, what we've done here is we've taken Darcy's full output of music. He recorded uh, five songs in his bedroom, one song in a studio, and then he supported the Blur, Blur tour of New Zealand, uh, and we recorded off the desk there. So we've we've put that together to create an entire album of, his, of, of everything that he ever produced. So you've, you've been um, behind this reissue but you were there back in the, in the day as well. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I look. Um, B, BFM broke this artist. I heard this track being played on the on on the campus radio network. I thought he was like a King Missile artist. I definitely didn't think he was from New Zealand. A friend invited me to a party at her house and said, you've got to meet this guy, introduced me to Darcy Clay. And uh, we were just mates from that moment on, and we developed our recording relationship. My business partner, Trevor Riki, we own Pagan Records and Antenna Recordings, uh, signed him. Even the signing was quite an eccentric process. Uh, Darcy wrote his own contract, and we accepted whatever he wanted. So the, those days when you had Pagan and Antenna, the, um, the you know the, the late nineties, oh, I suppose that was kind of like the dying days of of the physical release of music. Well, we actually achieved a lot. We we really went for uh, niche marketing in that uh, Pagan was quite clearly established, working with. Um, adult-style artists, country, folk, rock. And then Antenna was set up to work with more pop culture genres, uh, and Darcy fitted into that pop culture genre that, that's a sort of like a country country punk. Uh, but we also had um, we had Dub Dance, Electronica, and, and other artists on, on the Antenna label. So um, that that went on for a while. I mean, when did? But it's all you know. Once we got into kind of downloading and and all the rest of it, it must have been what early two thousands. It all started to fade away. Yeah, that, no, that's that's very good. Yeah, Trevor and I uh, made a business decision in two thousand and five. There was uh, a lot of piracy happening, and we knew we couldn't control that and resolve that issue. That was something for the industry to deal with. Uh, we decided to shift our entire catalogue and make it available on the internet. So rather than trying to uh, stop people accessing it, we, we increased their access to it. Uh, and that went out on digital platforms, digital downloadable platforms, transactional platforms. And I think in just a space of about two or three years, we ended up being on about 400 platforms around the world. Now, what that did is that shifted from physical sales to digital sales and then delivered 
uh, royalties back to our artists. So you, you've kind of kept in the game doing that, but did you envisage a, period, a time when you'd be back into physical releases, particularly vinyl releases? Well, the really nice thing now is it's kind of a luxury that we have. We have um, a really large back catalogue, including the Darcy Clay repertoire. Uh, a lot of companies are interested in putting them into compilations or reissuing them. So in this situation, Sony came to us and said, look, we're really interested in issuing, reissuing Darcy Clay's work. And uh, the requirement we had was, well, if you do that, we'd just like you to do it on vinyl also because we really think that's about the collector side. And, and vinyl's tactile. It's like owning a really beautiful book. You look after it, uh, you know, you share it with people, uh, and whereas a CD is really ephemeral now. So talk us through the process of, you know, you make that decision, you go, okay, here we go, we've got these these recordings which were pretty roughly recorded back in the day, put out um, on CD originally, and, you know, someone comes along and goes, okay, we've got this idea, we're going to do this. How do you take that from go to woe? Yeah, well, there's uh, mechanisms in place to deal with that, and there's the some simple licensing agreements. So a company will approach us, they've got a concept, they're wanting to put out a collection of, say, New Zealand music or some particular genres of hits. Um, they they we then negotiate a royalty arrangement. They take over all the manufacturing, distribution and marketing in that situation and uh, we simply receive a, um, a licensing royalty for it. So it's actually a better position because you have no overheads in that process. Um, yeah, that's how, it's, that's how it operates. And then, then it extends through to international compilations, film, television, etc. And in fact... Um, uh, Darcy Clay's lead track, Jesus, I Was Evil, was actually selected uh, for a film called I Woke Up Early the Day I Died, which is the last Ed Wood script. Um, Billy Zane was producing that, and uh, somehow he'd come across uh, Darcy's material, possibly Darcy had sent it to him direct, and um, you know he was completely devastated to hear that the artist had passed only a couple of weeks before um, approaching us to put it in his film. Yeah, so I mean, it is. I mean, I suppose that's one of the things, and all the excitement around this, it, it, can't, it shouldn't be forgotten. You know, that there's a tragedy there um, that you know someone with a talent um, was gone too quickly. Yes, that's right. And and the irony there too is because at the Blur concert, he did his rendition of um, Elton John's English Rose, and you know, there's a message in that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you, you know, Sony came along, they say, hey, we want to do this. You go, okay, we're going to put it on vinyl. Now, this has formed a kind of bit of a raft of reissues from Sony. Yeah, I think it opened their eyes to the fact that, uh, you know, music these days is really, really about a tight niche market. Uh, reissuing on vinyl has special interest. Um, the, the, generally, the vinyl sells out quite quickly, and, and, you know, it's quite expensive compared to a CD. What I'm really looking for, though, in these sort of vinyl reissues is to breathe life back into the repertoire because a DJ or a producer will find a sample on that record that they would like to use uh, and that uh, just it's a continuing journey for the music. Yeah. So, you, I mean, you've done a beautiful job of this. I mean, the, it's sounding great and um, I know you've been excited about it. You came up here with the test pressing a little while ago and now the final product's out. It's got great gatefold sleeve and um you know really done a nice job of it so you've got a, a renewed excitement about doing some more of this oh yeah absolutely so we have a we have a pretty large back catalogue um this situation with darcy is is what it is but we're going to go on and, and release some other artists on on vinyl um 
again, it's it, as I said, it's breathing life back into the into the repertoire. You know, CDs are uh, are a technology that's starting to to disappear. Uh, everybody's streaming. Um, it's great to put a record on. So you know, Sony, huge international company, um, and you know, even even a top selling New Zealand record for them um, is really just a drop in a bucket internationally in terms of of things. You know, they put out I don't know. 500 copies of Beck Runger's drive-on vinyl. I mean, uh, uh, I'm surprised anyone would, ev- would even notice, you know, compared to yeah. some of the artists they cover. But for, for Pagan and Antenna, I suppose these things in scale are, are a little more um, kind of, you know, they actually might generate some income. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, record, record labels are really the, the boutique end of the industry. So the major distributors, you know, they are what they are. They're a big, big machine, a big distributor. Um, but they, their repertoire, they, the music is fed to them through the little creative art houses, the record labels in people's bedrooms, the record labels in South Auckland and West Auckland. And that really, that's how it's functioning. You know, I'm not really quite sure how the music industry is going to uh, reform itself. It's a, an outdated business model. It's been under attack for a very, very long time in terms of protecting its copyright and controlling distribution and, and so forth. Uh, but something, something new has to shake out of it. At the moment, it's an expanding share of a diminishing market. These, these large companies merge, and by merging, they gain a bit more of a market. But at the end of the day, it's a market that's well on its way out. So you, you talked about doing more. Do you have specific projects in mind? Well, you know, we'd like to do uh, Relaxomatic. We we did two albums with Relaxomatic, and 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 you know, it's a very cool sound. So we're talking to the band about that. Uh, another another artist or another band of ours was a band called Tadpole. Uh, Tadpole were a sort of a pop rock with a little bit of a DJ thing mixed in with it. Their first album, The Buddha Finger, sold maybe 150,000 units. We produced 13 music videos off that album, so it was really really successful. 2000 through to 2005-ish. Uh, that would make a very, very good reissue. We're looking at that. Uh, and there, there's other repertoire too. We did a recording project some time ago of spoken word. We're thinking about uh, going and talking to uh, the poet about reissuing that and putting that out on vinyl also. So Tadpole's a name I haven't heard for a very, very long time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, they were, they were a very successful band, they, and they were very current. Um, they uh, they, they uh, appealed to youth. Uh, they were very well managed. They ran a lot of... Um, they did a lot of gigs through New Zealand high schools. They locked into a market really, really well. Uh, and as I said, we did 13 music videos off that album, so that's essentially 13 singles. That's pretty well unheard of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there really was a time there, wasn't there, I think, you know, the, the late 90s, the early 2000s, you know, with that New Zealand on-air support where there was a, that huge explosion of New Zealand music. I, I read an article about it recently, look, just looking at the number of New Zealand tracks that were charting compared to now, where it's just dropped right away again. Yeah, no, that's right. We were very active in that process. Uh, Trevor Riki, Cheryl Morris and myself uh, set up some radio syndication and the dilemma we had was that uh, about 5% of the music played on commercial radio stations in New Zealand was New Zealand music and 95% was foreign music. Uh, we designed these shows that went out on rock formats, CHR formats, and uh, etc., uh, to profile New Zealand music. And together with Brendan Smythe from New Zealand On Air, we had a very, very clear strategy over six or seven years to expand that share. And eventually, we got to 20% content, which is a good, good situation. But I always think you need to look at the reverse of that. That's still 80% foreign music. 
Yeah, um, but, uh, you know, great times and some great music that's come out of there, I think. And um, I suppose a lot of it, as you say, is just kind of sitting there in the vaults. You know, people might have it. I mean, I've got thousands of bloody CDs at home that I, that I never play with, you know, some of that music on there or it's sitting in the vaults in someone, someone's warehouse somewhere and, um, yeah, nice yeah. to get it out there. Uh, but that's also a dilemma. You've got to be very careful you don't lose track of your master's. You know, once the master's gone, if it gets misplaced, uh, if, if a warehouse closes down for some reason and they lose a carton that's got some important master's in it, it's gone forever. Yeah. So, um, I mean, was there a time away from music in between or is it just has it been there right through? Um, are you talking about m- For you, my, myself yeah, personally? Yeah. Uh, no, I've had many, many careers and, and, and I, I started, my musical career started in copyright law. I um, set up Amcos and APRA in New Zealand and ran those for many, many years, controlling intellectual property right and in, in, in an entire world repertoire of music. But my personal interests really lie in, in, in um, archiving and, and knowledge. Um, music was the art, the intellectual satisfaction I get from archaeology, and I retrained in archaeology, and uh, and I run projects around the world. Yeah, well, it's been great to to have you in, Tim, and uh, and you know this really is a fantastic product, and um, and again, I think because it's a, attached to an, an artist who is so important, it's it's nice to have that that recognition. Um, the, Darcy, well, um, Daniel, wasn't it? Daniel Bolton. Yeah. Um, so his family survived him. Yeah. No, he has a, he has a really lovely family. Um, I know one of his one of his brothers quite well, and we had an interesting connection even you know, after Darcy passing. Um, his parents, Bob and Kath, are wonderful people. It's taken them a long time to 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 really you know sort of resolve what happened with with their son, uh, and you know there's a lot of respect there. Uh, we work very very closely. And uh, and putting together a compilation such as this, actually, I have a I do have a request. I really would like you to play English Rose. I, I wrote this one not not so long ago. It's called English Rose.
bold move. Hey, I'm Buster from The Swingers, and you're listening to Counting the Beat on Radio Waiheke. You're listening to Counting the Beat on Waiheke Radio. I'm Chris. I'm playing all New Zealand music, all on vinyl. I was talking before about my disappointment about the quality of some of the recent reissues that have come out. Uh, That Darcy Clay one is an exception, but there are others that have done a good job as well, so I thought I'd play some of those. First up, I'm going to play a track from the Bill Doreen Cut LP. Uh, It was released originally on CD in the mid-90s. It's just come out on vinyl for the first time through Zell and Power Tool. And this is Nil by Nil. Dad's in the basement with a bottle of pills. Mom's on the highballs, a dream life full of steel. I can show gratitude at how much would it cost. How much you make it to the mark, how much you get lost. Brothers on the tarmac, sisters on the block. You'll never get his car back, she'll do them in the dark. I can show gratitude at how much would it cost. Make it to the mark, how much get long? Suddenly the spider kings have spun me a robe. They spot them in the arms and legs and smile for me to come. They forge the mirror, detecting through the glass. Twenty years, kabang, burns, ten seconds pass.
very good examples of how to do reissues. First up, The Builder's Cut. Never released on vinyl up until this year. They've just done a straightforward, really nice mastering, remastering, pressed it up for vinyl, they've done a nice job of the cover, and it's out at a reasonable price. Then we had Superette with Tiger. Now this has been a long time coming. This is one of the four records that Flying Nun said they were going to re uh, or put out on vinyl a number of years ago and many people have been upset about how long it has taken. I mean it has been many, many, many years but it's here and now they've done it. They've done a great job of it. You've got the original album, you've got single tracks, EP tracks and unreleased tracks on a double vinyl set. And then we heard from She Had, The General Electric. First time on vinyl, 20th anniversary release. It's two discs split on 45 RPM. And I've heard criticisms from people saying, oh, you don't need to do that, it makes it too expensive. But, you know, I actually would sooner spend the money and get a decent pressing like that that sounds fantastic, looks fantastic, it's on white and red vinyl, than get the shoddy jobs that some of those other reissues are on. Uh, we've got the crappy pictures, the crappy mastering, no liner notes, and tracks cut. I'd sooner spend the money. I want to have the. I want it having sounded good. G'day, this is Dave Dobbin here. It's a beautiful day. You're on Waiheke Radio. This is Counting the Beat. I'm Chris, playing all New Zealand music, all on vinyl. I'm going to play something else now from a record I played earlier in the show. One of my favourite releases of the year on Fish Rider Records. This from the self-titled LP from Bad Sav. It's called Pets. <laughs>
You've been listening to Counting the Beat on Waiheke Radio. I'm Chris Walker and it's been my pleasure to bring you all New Zealand music all on vinyl for the last couple of hours. I'll be back on the third Saturday of next month doing the same. You can find the playlist for this show, uh, photos of what I've been buying and, and spinning on facebook.com slash countingthebeat or you can check out mixcloud.com slash countingthebeat for podcasts of past episodes. I'm going to close out the show with a fantastic track from the brilliant new Rian Sheehan album, A Quiet Divide. It's a bit more orchestral than his last release, but it really is beautiful. This track's called April. Thanks for listening. <laughs>